everybody, Scott Burnside, back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Pierre Lebrun, all tanned up from his time in Boca at the GM's meetings last week, at a time when he tried to wrest control of the podcast away from me. Nice try on that one. But the bigger news, joined today by Hall of Famer Bob McKenzie... Bob, welcome to Two Man Advantage, the podcast. I know let's say, I know you just poured yourself some tea to try and calm yourself down before this thing started, but uh, I'm, I'm glad you're able to join us. Absolutely. It's a, it's an honor, um, I think. I'm really <laughs> curious to see what the uh, participating gift is all about at the end, so it's all good. That's why I'm here. I, I, I think it's going to be a Brunello at some point in time, Bobby, so we'll, we'll, we'll negotiate that later. So well, sounds we, good be- to me. Before we get to the news of the day, I want to, I, I, because as, uh, you probably don't know this, Bob, but Pierre certainly does it. Mostly, this is all about me, and I want to relate one of the most, one of the most enjoyable moments in in my career, uh, certainly in recent years, was a morning. I was trying to think this morning. I think I was in Calgary. It was during the playoffs. Uh, That's not the Calgary story ago. I thought you were going to bring up. But anyway, keep going. No, I know. And undoubtedly it will come I'm up at some gonna, point. But I'm not going to bring it up. If you bring that one up, Scotty, that's up to it, you. Yeah, that's right. But this is much better because uh, during uh, as my uh, in my own former role as the president of the Professional Hockey Writers Association, I had the pleasure of calling you, Bob, and telling you that you were the uh, recipient of the Elmer Ferguson Award, that you were going to the Hall of Fame, and I got to tell you, it was a, it was a grand moment for me. And I wonder, do you, like, do you get down to the Hall of Fame at all? Like, do you go? I know you have the jacket, but is what, what's that like for you? And I don't know if you get there at all and, and reflect on the fact that you're that you're a part of that now. You're a part well, of the fabric of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, first off, it's obviously a great honor. And I remember the call well because I was at actually at the Toronto airport when you called and uh, got the call. So that was very exciting. Um, I go to the Hall of Fame a few times a year. And um, because I'm on the um, Hockey Hall of Fame selection committee, um, we, we gather right after the draft usually and um and go through the selection process so i'm i'm actually there um we're not in the great hall per se and uh um but i yeah i I can't honestly say that when i'm there for selection committee i go up and walk through the great hall well the last time i was at the great hall was the night before the inductions this year and uh jimmy rutherford the general manager of the pittsburgh penguins was kind enough to invite me to a, a dinner that was uh, a couple of hundred people in the Great Hall. Um, and and I got to be honest with you, that was the first time that I actually saw the Elmer, my Elmer Ferguson plaque in the Hall of Fame um, from the time, I guess, three, four years ago that um, I was lucky enough to go to the media luncheon and, and, and get it. And I've obviously got my own... Uh, my own copy of the the plaque that uh, um, is is up in the Hall of Fame. So it's all very cool. Yeah, and, and Bob, now that you're on the selection committee, I mean, one of the you know one of the easiest things to do, of course, in our business is to always criticize who doesn't get in. <laughs> it's a, almost a cottage industry, but now you get an inside view of it, and I know it's 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 you know you're you're, you're sworn to secrecy, but it must be the process must be illuminating now, and and you know. I, uh, on a different scale, but I mean, I'm you know, you and I are also members of the Order of Hockey Canada Selection Committee, and and I'm I'm very proud of that. But 
at the very least, it, it it gives me an idea. You know, I've had people say to me, well, you know, how come that person's not in? And, you know, it's everyone has people that they want to get in every year and you have to make your case. And sometimes you win, sometimes you don't, right? It's, it's, it's not as, I guess what I would say is at least it gives me an idea that it's not, it's not as easy as, as you think, you know, to, to convince a group. Well, here's here's what I would say about that. Before I was on the selection committee, I was like everybody else. I said, what the hell are these guys thinking? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and I was I was really critical of the Hall of Fame selection committee the year that, that Pat Burns was still alive and didn't get in as a builder. Mm-hmm. And, and then, of course, he passed away that fall. And ultimately, he did get in. And it would have been, you know, I, I, I was upset at the time and said it would have been really nice if he had that honor because there was no doubt in my mind that he was eventually going to get in. He didn't, you know, he's a, he's a builder for sure. And, uh, but anyways, um, and I understand why people criticize the, the, the process or the secrecy of it. Um, but the secrecy is, is what it is. And it's, and people automatically assume that when there's secrecy, it's because they don't, no one will, they don't want you to know what's going on and, and what's going on behind closed doors. When in, fact that's not the reason for the secrecy the reason for the secrecy is is brutal honesty so that every the the 18 members of the committee can can give their honest you know because everybody's involved in the game in some way um and if you had to go public and really rip on on a guy that's nominated um you're 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 probably not going to do that a lot of people aren't um I might, I'm in the media, that's kind of our, our business <laughs> to rip on people, but you know, other people that in other facets of the game that are currently active in the game are not going to necessarily do that. So I, I, I'm impressed with the process from that perspective. And, and as for how it all works, what I would suggest simply is this, if you, if, if you think it's, if you think the, the, the process is flawed or you don't understand how could this guy not have gotten in then I would say go get 17 of your closest friends and and get a group of 18 people together and then put on the table anything for discussion. Forget about getting a player in the Hall of Fame. Decide where you're going for lunch that day, okay? That's what's on the table, 18 guys. Now, 14 of you have to decide where, where, where we're eating lunch today and, and, and tell me how easy it is to get 14 of 18 people to agree on anything, anything, never mind the, you know, the subtleties and nuances of an entire NHL career. Um, and, and the other thing about the Hall of Fame is there's no, there's no one thing that gets you in or gets you excluded. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different ways to get in the Hall of Fame. Some guys are aggregators. Some guys are collectors of points over a long period of time. Some guys are, you know, slam dunk, you know, right away you don't even have to think about it uh some guys get in on, on the basis of what they largely did in the playoffs versus the regular season um it's it's really textured and layered and and, and, and the international uh, angle to it all too right Bob? And, well that's, a, that's even a bigger one now obviously yeah. you know so you get a a Vatlav Metamansky or mm-hmm. or whomever Yakushev and and you got to try to you know try to allow for the international flavor to and to understand these guys that didn't play in the National Hockey League or didn't play very much in the NHL and where they fit in. So it's kind of a neat, a neat process. Yeah. Um, 
let's uh, let's switch to the news of the day. I said people might uh, accuse us of burying the lead, but uh, it's a podcast. I don't even think you have to have a lead, so that's kind of the the cool thing about it. But obviously, and um, Bob, we I, so you were in Boca as well with the GMs, were you not? Uh, briefly, I was. Uh, I was very sick at the time, and I know that's ah. probably not a not a good thing to admit right now. But um, but I I can tell you that I uh, I talked to my doctor this week, and I have seasonal flu, so it's all better now. And I'm the, on the road to recovery. The, but, the good old you know, fashioned flu, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and this is the thing. I mean, with the the coronavirus, I mean, everybody assumes the minute you hear somebody cough or you're sick mm-hmm. or whatever, and and I was flying home from Florida on Sunday night, and it, it's an amazing study in human nature to watch the, the goings on at an airport right now. There was a woman there, and she was coughing her brains out. I mean, and everybody was just looking at I thought they were going to stone the poor woman, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's, and it, you know, if I'm sure if you went through an airport a month ago and had never heard of the coronavirus, if you actually stop to listen, how many people cough or clear right. their throat or whatever, and you don't even give it a moment's notice, and now everybody's just on heightened awareness, and you see somebody, you hear somebody coughing, and you're right away like, oh, get out, get away from me, and it, you know, it's 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 incredible, really. Yeah, well, and it's uh, you know, personally, my my father and mother were in Florida. Uh, my father suffered an, an ankle. Uh, he had. Uh, uh, an ankle issue and it was in hospital for a long time we finally got him back to ontario and uh, near their home east of uh, toronto but uh, when he arrived at the peterborough hospital even though it was completely it's not a it's like it completely not related to the flu or respiratory issues or anything like that right into an isolation room because he'd come from the united states and uh, it's uh, it is interesting to watch people's reaction to it now and of course the great you know, in our world, right, we have a very narrow view of the world. It's, it's hockey. It's what we do. Um, but it, it is fascinating to watch now how and to understand maybe just how closely everything is connected, right? It's a giant spider web. And so when you hear that Santa Clara County health officials have uh, prohibited gatherings of a thousand or more, which uh, will impact the San Jose Sharks or... Um, you hear the governor of Ohio suggesting that uh, indoor events uh, like a hockey game shouldn't go on, even though Columbus says we're taping this. Has well, it can go on just without the crowd is yeah. what he was suggesting. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, he didn't say cancel the, the event, but that they, they shouldn't have crowds there. It, it does. It's it, it's obviously sobering and it's and it and it does raise lots of questions. Well, well how? What is the best way to proceed? So, Bob, maybe just start with you. Have you ever encountered anything like this? I mean, we've had SARS. We've had different things. The NHL went through a mumps uh, episode, what, four or five years ago. Yep. Have you encountered anything like this that, that you can draw a parallel to? Or is this something that is really unique and, and in, in and of itself a singular kind of thing that the NHL has to deal with? I think it's unprecedented from my perspective. Um the funny thing is about SARS is is I'm real sketchy on so much of, of what happened. What I remember about SARS is my dad was sick at the time he was in the hospital and um, how difficult it was to get in and out of the hospital and, and the steps that were being taken and, and what have you. But I don't remember from a professional point of view. You know, that was, if I remember correctly, that was 2003. And um, 
you know, um, I was I was actually at the Stanley Cup final when in Anaheim when I got word that my dad was ill and I had to go back and back ended up in the hospital at that time and I did, didn't even remember it was Mike Johnson actually a colleague at TSN who told me that you know in in February or March that the, the SARS outbreak was was prevalent and but I don't remember it impacting our coverage of the game the way that this has um, you know, what, what's everybody remember about stars? Uh, I remember Rolling Stones and ACDC having a concert on July 1st or whatever it was at, uh, um, down zoo park as a, as a fundraiser after the, basically after the SARS thing had, had run its course for the most part. And they wanted to do something for the economy and just the spirits of everybody. Cause Toronto was, I don't want to say it was ground zero on SARS, but it was certainly a, uh, uh, an absolute hotbed of that outbreak, but I don't ever remember it affecting the National Hockey League the way that this is potentially affecting the NHL and other professional sports. Well, and, and you know, yeah, well, I mean, Bob and I were talking about this off air with, with Darren Treger yesterday at TSN that, you know, there's going to be a lot of armchair quarterbacking on this because in some part that's our job, but, but like, what the hell do we know about this? I mean, I, I'm not, I'm mean, just saying, like, honest to goodness, like, here we are you know, on TV and, and trying to deliver what the latest news is that we have. And that part we can control. That's, that's what we do. But I, I think it's a, it's a slippery slope when we start getting in it. Well, the NHL should have done this and, and these teams should be doing that. I'm not a Come health on, Pierre, professional. We're goddamn experts on everything. Well, you know that. I know. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, and, and I mean, at the end of the day, the only thing I would think in terms of my gut reaction to all this is that, you know, you just hope that everyone's listening to the CDC in the States and to Health Canada here and 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 going that way. But it's not that simple. Uh, you know, certainly to me, the prevention of spreading of the disease should be paramount for everyone involved. But you're also talking about this multi-million dollar, billion dollar business. And every time you... You're going to play in front of an empty rink. There's going to be a financial repercussion, which should not be your first go-to. But it's also like, let's not be naive here. I mean, let's understand what some of these discussions are about between the NHLPA and the NHL and all these teams. And so you have the Sharks who had their hand forced by Santa Clara and, and you know can't have a gathering over a thousand people at their next home game. And then you had the Blue Jackets who took their lead from the NHL yesterday and, and said, well, with the evidence that we have, we're, we're going to go ahead as planned this week until further notice, you know? And so, and that, and that certainly took some criticism and I understand why, but on the other hand, I'm not a, I'm not a medical expert. So it is, it's, it's unlike anything really that, that, that I remember. Now it's funny. I, I thought Bob was going to say he remembers covering the 1919 cup final when the Spanish flu halted, <laughs> halted that series between Seattle and Montreal. But that I was, guess uh, I was getting to that next for sure. Oh, that's but, beautiful. I would never even come up with that. That's 1919 Spanish flu. That's the only time yeah. that the cup wasn't awarded other than the old four Oh five lockout. Right. Yep. Well, but I, I talked to a couple of, uh, and I, uh, financial experts, uh, financial people who, are connected to the game in a variety of ways. Uh, investment people, though, you know, trying to get a sense of, okay, what are the the, the economic impacts? I, I was surprised the people I've talked to thus far. I mean, they're looking long term or the the big view, and they don't believe that even if you had like let's say as let's say today the NHL said, okay, we're going to have our 
we're going to play out the regular season and we're not going to allow fans in uh, out of an abundance of caution. It's probably three or four or four or five home dates per team on average. Now, you know, that's a big hit. And what are the Rangers pull in or Toronto pull in per home date? Whatever the number is, is it three million or whatever the number is in terms of the revenues? But so that's that's not nothing. But it's also in the big picture, it's not a huge thing. The players are still going to get paid until the end of the regular season, and that and once the playoffs start, they never get paid anyway. So um, they, I was surprised that they they just felt the NHL was in such a good spot financially. Ownership is pretty much solid you know, more or less throughout the NHL, um, that maybe if, if a team, any team had to lose four or five home dates, that it's, it's not a make or break thing. I, I, I don't know whether you, that Bob, start with you. Does that, does that sound logical to you that, that, that you do need to take the long view on yeah. this? Yes and no. And I'll tell you why yeah. is because playoffs are coming and, and playoffs are right. the gravy train for hockey related exactly. revenue. Let's not kid anybody that, uh, yeah. The financial success of a lot of organizations hinges on on multiple playoff dates with ticket prices shacked right through the roof um, because the market will bear it. And so if it's one thing to I, I agree, I mean, you know, to be a cynic, what if, you know, we know that Santa Clara Medical Board has, has made this mandate that, you know, that may result in San Jose playing in front of uh, no fans. Um, what if the governor, what if Governor Newsom in California comes out today and says, uh, that's it. No, nobody, no gatherings over a thousand for anybody. And, and the Kings and uh, the Ducks now can't do that. Well, as fate would have it, the Kings, the Ducks and the Sharks aren't making the playoffs this year. Um, so to your point, Scotty, that that's a very defined sense of loss and, and probably one that, you know, it wouldn't be great for those organizations, but nevertheless, it's not make or break. But if all three of those teams were headed for the playoffs and all expected to be in a conference final or to get to a cup final, it would be catastrophic. And and also because the National Hockey League has a hard salary cap system and uses escrow as a manner in which to balance the books uh, and ensure that, you know, the owners are not overspending. And if they are, they're going to get paid back. Um you know, this dent in hockey related revenue could be catastrophic to the extent that, you know, there'll be no, no, no salary cap growth unless it's artificially applied mm-hmm. by the NHL and the NHLPA negotiating a number and saying, this is what we need to carry on our business. But, you know, this is, you know, for a salary cap league, this is one of the worst case scenarios, especially if it, it should drag out through the playoffs and, and the, the potentials there for empty buildings during the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, and that's why I, 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 I never want to get too far ahead on these things. But, you know, the cynic in me suggested, was thinking to myself, if, if, if this thing gets better, like this thing could get better in a relative hurry. I mean, it could get worse Agreed. a yep. lot faster. So in other words, you could suddenly have a, an escalation of cases in this state or that state or whatever the case may be. And, and boom, it'll it'll be like a runaway train. Um, but it's also containment. It won't happen quite as quickly, but this thing could be contained relatively quickly so that a week or two or three from now, it's potentially that all the numbers are starting to go down and everybody's taking a sigh of relief. And it's like, okay, looks like everything's going back to normal. Um, rather than play before empty buildings 
and, and the NHL's got good practice at this with lockouts and strikes and what have you. You know, if, if we have to, if the National Hockey League had to play the Stanley Cup final in the middle of July in order to maximize their, their, their financial return, I could see them doing that before I could see them playing before empty buildings in, in April. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. so I don't know. We'll see, we'll see where it all goes from here. You know, the problem with the Cup final in the middle of July won't be empty empty stands in terms of spectators. There'll be empty press boxes in terms of media <laughs> like me. But <laughs> in any case, let's move on to hockey. All right. Well, all of a sudden you're taking control. All right. So here's I, I want to uh, uh, we're going to let Bob go in, in a few minutes. But I been I, Bob, I often inquire as to Pierre's mental well-being and overall wellness uh, during the podcast. And a couple of times this week, I was a little bit concerned. He, Pierre penned a piece. He didn't like the playoff system, wanted to change it. And then he didn't like the way the schedule was too many teams <laughs> playing too many games in March. And so I'll, Pierre, are you, are you okay? You just seem, you seem I'm, a I'm, bit I'm, I, It's not about me. I'm relaying, I'm relaying what teams are telling me. I, I'm just a vehicle. Yeah. I'm just a vehicle. You just look, this. you sounded hangry to me. I didn't know whether you It, it is. Food. I mean, you know, it, the timing was, well, I, I, other than the fact that everyone else is writing about the coronavirus, I, so I guess it was off that way. But my piece yesterday got a lot of attention from our readers who had some really constructive ideas and and the point being and i was going to say the timing was good you know nathan mckinnon gets dinged up the other night and we still don't know the severity of that injury you know that was colorado's 20th game in 38 days and overall they're playing 31 games in 59 days between february and march and and it's just you know the gms were really on this last week and it kind of got lost and again in the coronavirus uh, more important discussion but they, they've got this schedule can't go on uh, like, like you know your most important asset is your players and they're grinding you look at the injuries around the league uh you know victor hedman goes out the other day and so on and so on you, you, you i don't know how you could actually think that playing 31 games in 59 days through the end of march and then going into the playoffs where if you win the cup you're going to play every second night for two months is good business and so i this issue's coming to a head and as i wrote yesterday chuck fletcher's actually met with the league uh, and is going to meet with them again next month and he's trying to uh, find a way to add a game or two to the flyers october schedule next fall uh, next fall to take a game or two away from february and march i mean that's i mean every team should be doing that and but easier said than well, done. but, but it's, it's how you end up where we are and and part of the reason why the schedule ends up being backloaded. Well, there's multiple reasons, but one of the reasons is because American teams in particular mm-hmm. don't like to play October hockey. Mm-hmm. In fact, given the choice, they, they would rather start in November because sure. they're up against the World Series and, you know, the NFL is going and the NBA, well, the NBA starts a little, yeah. little bit later. But, but, but your, your maximum amount of, is, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Your maximum amount of competition for ticket-buying public dollar is, is huge in October. And American teams traditionally try to shy away from home games in October. Whereas in Canada, they're like, yeah, bring it on. Like, you, you, well, we could have these games in September and people are eager for hockey to start. The preseason's way too long. Um, so that's number one. And then, of course, after that, it's like, you know, well, Chuck's going to have to go talk to the NHLPA because they're the ones who negotiated the five-day buy, um, you know, yeah. so to, to give the players the break. So I don't know what makes more sense. Does it make more sense to have 
five days and the All-Star weekend to get an eight or nine day break in in late January, early February, or and then have to play a hellacious schedule, as you point out, like, you know, a game every other night for 60 nights, basically. Um, you know, is it better to get the eight or nine day break and then go nuts for 60 days or is it or does it even matter that you don't get the eight day break and you get and then you play a game every third night for 60 days or whatever? Does it really make that big a difference with the travel and everything else? I don't know what the answer to that question is. The reality is they play too many games because the owners need the money and the players want the money. And, uh, you know, it, it, does it make any sense that the season is 82 games long? Well, only to the extent it used to be 84 and they backed it off to 82. <laughs> let, let's, let's, let's be honest. The number should be like 76 or 72. Right. But For it's sure. never going to be because nobody's taken the bath that goes no. with yeah. it. No, it's well, interesting. Like, right. a, like, I mean, the NHL. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say Max Domi right, suggested yeah. to me last week, you know, let's add a week to the regular season at least to space some of it out. And, his idea was to add a week to the end, which I am not in favor of. I'd like to add no, the week at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'd like, I mean, you know, Bob knows this and so does Scotty, but I, I've always wanted, and this goes against what the U.S. owners would want, but let's drop the puck in late September. Everyone's ready. The yeah, preseason's yeah. a joke now, but again, there's yeah, HR the involved in that. too long. Preseason's too long. But you see, even now, they're, they're, they won't even cut the preseason because they're getting, they're getting full ticket prices for the preseason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, a you lot can. of them. And- yeah. Um, so, you know, Bob, you are well aware now of Pierre's uh, stance on, the, and it's not just Pierre's, of course. I, I, I'd like to give him full credit for it, but and lots of GMs over the last four or five years have raised the idea, probably taking a page from what's gone on with Major League Baseball, adding the idea of either a play-in, you know, single game or a short two of three and however you structure it, seven, eight, nine, ten, playing to get into the main field, it, which addresses in some ways Pierre's point about you want your best players or you want your players to be freshest come playoff time, that that would reward teams higher up the standings with a bit of a break before the start of the playoffs. But I wonder, especially when you look at the playoff races, and it's 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 pretty dynamic. The whole Metropolitan Division remains very dynamic. The Toronto-Florida race in the Atlantic and, of course, the whole West wildcard uh, even into the central and in, obviously in the Pacific is absolutely jam-packed. Do you, do you, Bob, do you like the way it is now? Do you like the urgency of what we're seeing, you know, what goes on, you know, it's been going on for a while now, but heading into that first weekend in April and the end of the regular season? Or would you, would you like to see what Pierre suggested at that point that you do have, whether it's play-in or a mini round to play in, do you think the changes the dynamics of the urgency of the playoff race if you do that, or what? What do you like? What do you think? I like the bottom line of of sixteen teams making the playoffs. I'm I'm not a play in fan, um, but what I would say is this: I I like the integrity of of the eighty two game season and knowing that these sixteen teams move on. Um, I don't like three point games. I don't like the playoff format. Um, so there's lots of things that I don't like, but I like the idea that you play 82 games for a reason. And at the end of the 82, you take the top eight on each side and away you go. There's your playoff. Um, I just think it minimizes things if suddenly you're going to say, well, now we're going to take the top 10 and we're going to play, you know, have the 
you know, seven, eight, nine, and ten have a little play in or at the at the bottom end. And qu- quite often, there might not be any difference in the standings between seven and ten, depending on whatever format you choose to have a play in series. But right. you know, you you might be talking about teams that are just separated by a few points. But there might be some years where the the separation's ten or twelve points. Why should somebody who's ten or twelve off the mark get a chance? To another chance to come in didn't they prove over 82 games they don't deserve to be there i mean but you know i also understand though we used to have a league of 21 teams the original 21 i call it and <laughs> and and 16 of 21 made the playoffs when yeah. seattle comes in we're going to be at 32 and we're still just putting the same 16 in right so and, and that's part of what i'm looking at i guess but yeah right. for sure and, and 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 i understand that and and i understand why general managers are always in favor of more teams in the playoffs. I'd be more favored too. Uh, yeah, it's because, good for their jobs. <laughs> because yeah, it's good for job security. But I, I don't know. It's um, it, it's funny because in the in the original twenty one, the, the playoffs were kind of a, a, a joke. Like everybody, everybody but you know Hartford and four other teams didn't make it. Um, <laughs> That's right. That was, you know, played the cue of Brass Bonanza now, Pierre. But yeah, um, yeah, well, at the top of her show. But anyways, <laughs> the um, so I, I like the integrity of the eighty-two games and how hard it is, and it's it's a life and death struggle to to get there. And uh, yeah. you know, the Montreal Canadiens came so close last year, but they just missed. And mm-hmm. and I'm I'm fine with that. I'm fine with heartache yeah. and heartbreak and and those types of things because the teams that made it. They deserve to be there, and they they deserve to 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 get a best of seven in the first round against the the top team in the in in, in the uh, in the respective conferences. And and I and maybe it's semantics, but I I also want to protect the sanctity of the sixteen. I I'm just talking about a you know a forty eight hour play in to get into the sixteen. Right. But but well, I get that, it. I get you know, I guess it's notion, semantics. Yeah. That whole notion of a play in game, it's it's like I'm from a marketing point of view. It's it's a home run. I mean, let let you know, Major League Baseball be the first to tell you those play-in games are like mm-hmm. they want more now. Games are are nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that. But that you know, but baseball's kind of gone the you know they've been the exact antithesis of of hockey. It, you know, it used to be just you know two teams mm-hmm. <laughs> basically, yes. and, and then they changed the format, and then it got to be four teams, and now they keep they keep rolling it out. They went from virtually everybody's out of the playoffs by June 1st in, in a right. lot of those. I used to look at the major league baseball and I thought, man, like, you know, after the Kansas city Royals were a, a, a great team that won world series way back when I was a, a younger guy, you know, I used to look at teams like the Kansas city Royals and others. And I was like, why do people even go to the games? Like <laughs> yeah, there's right. not a, they're like, you know, 27 games out of first place and it's like May 15th. <laughs> and, and you're like, that's going to be a long year. And they, those guys play every day. What's the yeah. point? I'd cancel the season right now. And, um, and, and, no and there's, to... I was going to say, there's no doubt, Bob, about the three-point game. That's the one where it's universal. Like, you know, if we all had the, the power of Gary Bettman and Don Fear, I, I haven't met a single fan or media person that doesn't think that the three-point game is a killer right now i i it's really yeah the the, the 60 minute win parody, I think. yeah for sure for sure i'd rather find out if there's good teams out there let's find out who the really good teams are so give mm-hmm. three points for a regulation win and let's see who put pedal to the metal and takes advantage of that and opens up and 
separates from the the rest of the field. I don't know if they would, but I'd like to find out. Yeah, and, and you know the, the the dumbest thing before we let Bob go is that people do these charts and they say, well, look, if it's three points for 60, it doesn't actually change the standings that much. That's the dumbest yeah, thing alive. You don't know. The, the carrot's not there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't know. That's <laughs> yeah. like... Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. All right. We're going to let Bob McKenzie get back to his tea and his day. But uh, this has been a treat. And I, I know we, we circled around the trying to find a time that worked for you to come and join us. And I know you see a lot of Pierre, but for me, a special treat that you were able to carve out time and hang out with us this morning. So thanks for doing that, Bob. Happy to do it. And i um, glad we were able to do this and not have to tell the story about Calgary. I was just thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Well, here's, here's the thing. You got to come back on and we'll, we'll tell that story. I'm okay with telling that story, but you got to come back on. So this is the carrot sure. for you to come back on. Yeah, All right. Not a problem. Maybe Thanks, Bobby. Look forward to my Brunello. Yeah, that's probably two now. We kept you too long. That's two Brunellos. All right. Thanks, Bobby. It's all good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bobby. Okay, I would, I'm so excited that Bob was able to join us, and not just because we avoided uh, the embarrassing story about Calgary in the fall of 2001, <laughs> which we'll get to at some point, but do you remember the first time you met him? Because you've worked alongside him now uh, for since, a long time. Since 2011. The, yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you remember the first time you met him and maybe what it was? Because, I mean, what it, they call him the... The Bob Father, yeah, the yeah. Bob Father. Well, I'll tell you what; it's it's been a lot more enjoyable working alongside him for nine years now than the, uh, geez, how many years? Sixteen years before that, that I competed against him. I can tell you that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Much better to be teammates uh, with the best in the business than it is to to try and keep up with him. Um, and and he's one of the. I've told this story before. People ask me. You know my process of why I left Hockey Night in Canada when I was on the hot stove uh, in the summer of 2011 and went to TSN and and there were a number of reasons. One of them is that I was starting a young family and needed my weekends back during the regular season. But uh, another one was when TSN phoned really out of the blue. Uh, the allure of working with Bob and Darren and James Duffy. I mean, you know that's the gold standard. And uh, you know Bob in particular was really in our business on the hockey side one of the first print guys you know he was a writer at the toronto star and the hockey news for many years who carved out a whole tv side to his uh, to his job as you know scotty and then eventually it became his job right and so that was a, an eye-opener for me as a young journalist that um, you know you could because i also i'm a writer at heart i was a writer at canadian press for many years and and of course with you at espn.com but the idea that you know the the whole tv side could develop as well bob's a big trailblazer for me uh, in that way and it's yeah. it's been just amazing to to work alongside him all these years yeah and you know i mean i've i've known bob a long time as well and um i, I really was such a treat to call him and tell him he'd won the elmer ferguson mm-hmm. but what has always struck me when i watch even from afar watch how you work with Darren and Bob and the work that you put in at TSN and especially around key moments in the schedule like the trade deadline and like free agency is you know how how open and giving you are with each other and it's you know it sounds you know like a cliche or whatever but it, it truly is a team effort and you know I mean you guys are they all like they Bob McKenzie is is an icon Right. I mean, the, he is an icon. And if if it wasn't that way, if it, if he didn't share stuff and if he was prickly or whatever it might have been, you people go, oh, OK, well, that's that's understandable. He is he's a he's like a god in his profession, but he's not like that at all. And I'm 
it always it, it it strikes me as it must be fun to go to work with with guys mm-hmm. who are and people not just guys obviously but people who are are willing to share and who are who you know who want the the group success as opposed to just getting accolades themselves well it, it's amazing that you bring that up because I, i've had fans come up to me at events and or, or whatever right on the street and then we'll start talking and they'll say what's it like to compete with darren and bob i'm like well we don't <laughs> I, I don't know why people think that it, it's the opposite and you know if you look at bob's uh twitter feed on trade deadline day a number of times where he would say ask for darren dreger blah 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 ask for people like there's no, it's no one even like. It's always about let's just get it out as a team and not. And there's no desire to hog the glory. It's just about between the three of us. Let's get the news out. Um, Frank Cervelli is a big part of that as well now. And and it's 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 such a fun thing. You really feel like you're part of a team. And and you know here's his info. Here's my info. And here's Darren's info. And let's make it all fit together. And hey, who's tweeting? I don't care. You tweet it. You know what I mean? Like that's really how it actually works for us and i think i think it's why it's been so much fun to be together yeah good stuff all right we're going to take a brief break we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some playoff races and who's hot who's not and um so don't go away we'll be right back if you were to guess on average how many days people in the u.s have to wait to see a doctor what would you say a week maybe Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities, basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer Complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash Advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, so uh, you you were in Florida, you were at the GMs meetings, and then you went to Tampa and saw Tampa, Montreal, correct? And then Mm -hmm. now you've returned home. all right, let's see, you know, let's uh, keep it sort of loose. What are you what are you most excited? Let's take the Eastern Conference to start with. It was that'll be easier to split it up. But you think about the Eastern Conference and I, I honestly it shocks me when I look at the standings now and I see okay, 70 games have played, 69 uh, 71 for Montreal. So so we're like we're down to it. <laughs> Right? Like right. It, by the end of this week, we're inside 10 games for most teams. It, it's shocking to me that we're this close. When you think of the East, what's, uh, you know, what are you most curious about how things will unfold over the, the next 10 games for most of these teams? Well, one of the things that, that is really recent, I think, and changes the, dynam- the dynamic just a bit, Scotty, in my opinion, you could disagree, but I think for the longest time, we, we looked at the third place in the Atlantic um, especially given the way the Leafs and Panthers had struggled for a while and said, well, it's for those two teams, it's either they finish third or they're out. 
And if you look at the standings now, interestingly enough, that some of the Metro has mangled into their race. So in other words, <laughs> you know, Florida and the Rangers, uh, as we tape this on Wednesday morning, are both tied with 78, two points behind the Islanders, who are point out of the final wildcard spot behind Columbus. My point is, it's not necessarily, if you're Florida right now, looking up at everyone, you're not necessarily just Atlantic or bust, are you? I mean, there is a possibility right. now yeah. that either the Leafs or the Panthers one or the other, could end up as one of the two wildcard teams, which really changes, I think, a lot of what we thought the playoffs were going to look like in the first round. I mean, I think we all penciled in five Metro teams and three Atlantic teams, and we're going to call it a day. And now suddenly, you know, the Islanders have struggled, of course. Um, Columbus has all the injuries, but they're hanging in there. Uh, you know, Carolina's been up and down. So suddenly, it's actually a natural race involving both divisions in terms of the wild card. I, I find that pretty interesting. Yeah, no, and you're absolutely right. And you, and you, and you, you know, your term when you know whether it's bumbling or muddling along or whatever it is, but you're like yeah, the Islanders for me are a team. You know, it's, they're such a fascinating team. And last year with Barry Trotz, his first year there, and so tough to play against, and just locking things down. And and I really thought what Lou Lamarello had done at the trade deadline. J.G. Pajot coming over from Ottawa on a big deal and then signing him right away. Um, Andy Green coming over, great veteran presence from New Jersey. Um, they cannot buy a win. Now, there's, you know, they're getting some points, you know, they overtime and, and shootout losses, but they, they have fallen from where it looked like they might, in fact, get home ice advantage as the number two spot in the Metro. Um, now they're technically outside the... Well, not technically, they are outside the playoff bubble, as you and I are chatting today. Columbus, like every day, it seems like some other terrible injury. But, you know, Merzlikens is back and, you know, they keep hanging around because Tortorella plays that, you know, their team plays so hard. Um, Do you, and I'm with you, so I, like, what, do you, do you have a team that you're like, okay, I think this is a team that they are tracking the right way. And I see them finding their way into the top eight that maybe we didn't think so, or maybe, you know, this is a team that yes, they finally righted the ship, and I see them. I see this is a team that I I would pencil into the top eight in the East right now. Well, I can't believe I, I'm I'm saying this because they've been the most mystifying team <laughs> for a long time. But the Leafs now, despite the the brutal California road trip, which got all of Leaf Nation down on them yet again, I mean it's unbelievable the ups and downs with that team. But they've now beaten Tampa twice in the span of two weeks, and. And legitimately, and, and I have to tell you, like uh, again last night, that was a good win over the Tampa Bay Lightning, a team that if they finish third in the Atlantic, they're going to play in the first round. And I, I, I think the Leafs. I can't believe I'm saying this. I, I'm going to regret saying this because you, you're going to play the tape on me. I think they're turning a corner. I, I really do. Now again, if I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to pick Tampa depending on their injuries uh, a month from now when these two teams face off, but. Uh, you know, I, I think the Leafs have shown something to me with these two wins over Tampa. I mean, you could say what you want about the losses in California and all that, but when you're playing Tampa, these are statement moments. You know, are you guys for real or you're not for real? And I thought the Leafs have played really well in both those victories. I, I'm with you, and I watched that game last night. I was flicking back and forth between Boston and Philly, which is another, you know, fascinating, um, you know, I mean, possible Eastern Conference final and who thought we'd be saying that in September but uh, but back and forth and I'm with you I thought that game was really important for Toronto and I and I love the idea 
that it's Toronto, Tampa, and, and you hope that the Lightning are as healthy as they can be because it, the the talent that would be on the ice in that series would be. But can you imagine the Leafs go into Tampa to start a seven-game series and what it will be like if they win game one? I mean, just I, I just think about the dynamics, and we've talked a lot about it all year, you know, how this Tampa team recovers from last year and the growth that they've gone through. And, and they went through a period where, like, they did, they looked again like the best team in the NHL. And you're like, okay, this, they got it now. And now, I don't know. I just, I think it'd be great drama. I just, I hope fans are in the stands to be able to see it. But I, I'm with you. I, I think, I, I think the be... Leafs will just be happy not to play Boston for once. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to I want to leave uh, before we leave the Eastern Conference, uh, I'll, and not just because I I've written a bit about the Canes lately, but Justin yeah, wonderful Williams, story just, on Justin I, Williams, great story, buddy. That well, was <laughs> yeah, a, you're a true pro to uh, praise me as I throw that out there. But he scores a game winning goal uh, last night. He's just he really you know he's been you know they hit a bit of a spell it looked like with their injuries and of course losing both their goalies Dougie. Hamilton, of course, out long term, and then Brett Pesci. People don't get how good that yeah, huge kid loss. is on defense. Like My he's a huge loss. But they are, you know, they won three in a row as we're speaking now, in a playoff spot. Um, so I, I, it's it'll be interesting to see how they go. And and the other team that I still can't quite get my head around. Uh, how good are they? Are they really for real? Is that Philadelphia Flyers team? And um, yeah, they're for real. I, you know, I'm for sure. Yeah, the underlying yeah. numbers yeah. are there. I yeah. mean, listen, the goaltending saves them on some nights, but um, no, I, I I think they are for real. And Flyers Penguins would not be bad first round. That'd be all right. Oh my goodness! Well, and that that, that you know, again, we, we would have. I guess that's why they play them, right? But, you know, a month ago, I I think it would have been easy to pencil Washington into that top spot, and you're sort of looking, okay, it could be Washington, Carolina again. But, uh, you know, Philly has really, man, they are making that a dogfight. And either way, like I think Pittsburgh's, you know, they're going to settle into that three spot in the Metro. Um, but either way, Washington, Pittsburgh in the first round, Philly, Pittsburgh in the first round, I, I, I've already put my hand up to cover either of those so if if, if the goes. media is allowed to go to games we'll find oh, out exactly <laughs> all right let me ask you this question we're going to switch to the western conference before we close things out today is it possible and you know two years ago i was with the dallas stars and really two years ago i know this because i we spent saint patrick's day two years ago in winnipeg oh my gosh it was a glorious sunny day Ken Hitchcock gave the team the the day off. Uh, what a glorious day in uh, in Winnipeg, St. Patrick's Day. The Dallas Stars in the middle of a road trip from hell that would ultimately cave in all of their playoff hopes. And it's not quite as bad now, but I was that they are in they're in some trouble. They've gone from challenging Colorado and St. Louis atop the Central to all of a sudden, Nashville nipping at their heels. You've got Winnipeg right behind. Well, they're actually they're tied in, in points right now in the Central. Uh, are you concerned about Dallas? Like, is it possible that we could see another March collapse that could cost them a playoff spot? Yeah, I am concerned. And, and, and you know, for a while, about a month ago, I thought the Stars, well, I shouldn't say I thought. I mean, the numbers were there. They, they were starting to score a little more freely. Not at a yeah. great level, but... You know, they've had trouble scoring all year, and, and because they've been so good defensively, they've gotten away with it. 
You know, they're back down now the 27th in the league in goals per game. Like, you know, the only teams behind them as we tape this are Anaheim, Columbus, LA, and Detroit. Um, so, you know, maybe Columbus will get in, but that's that's tough to hang in there and expect to have success. I know it's not all about offense, and the, the Stars can really grind out a game on you and, and play almost like a blues-like type game, but you need a little more offense than that, and that's what I'm seeing is the, the, the big guns, again, have gone quiet, and that's hard, man. That's, that's hard to live on that recipe and expect to, uh, to thrive. So I, I'm not saying they're going to miss out. I think they've built enough of a little cushion to get out of this and, and use those points. But going into the playoffs, uh, I think you hope if you're the stars that, uh, that you're, finding a little, <laughs> you're finding a way to get more than two goals a night. Let's put it that way. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, I'm with you. When they were, you know, the offense had picked up and, and they are, you know, between Anton Kudobin and Ben Bishop, uh, you know, I, I think it's fair to say the best one-two punch in the NHL in goal and so hard to play against. They've been one of the, you know, I haven't well, looked today. But I, I guess, I guess Flurry and Leonard team. maybe have re- yeah, uh, yeah, redrawn okay, the I'll map on that, that of re- late, but yeah. But that's yeah, a recent to that, development, but, yeah. Yeah, but I'll tell you the pressure on that Dallas franchise. It well, a they can't miss the playoffs. There, it would be chaos if they miss the playoffs. Um, but frankly, I think the expectations are that they were, you know, this is a team that could and should build on last year, where they went to Game Seven double overtime against St. Louis in the second round. And there's a lot of pressure on that team to, you know, to show that they are tracking the right way. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. But, but by the uh, way, right, uh, by the way, the phone lines yeah. are burning up from Boston, where. I think people are saying <clears throat> Tuka Rask, Yaroslav Halak, number one rated oh, defensive Tuka, team yeah, in the Tuka NHL. Rask, just Yaro saying. Okay. Just saying. All right. Yeah, no. Okay. I should maybe said just in the Western Conference. But did, I'll, I'll did, didn't I trade you Tuka Rask in our, in our media fantasy league? <laughs> yeah, you did. I, yeah, I'm a couple points out of first right now, by the way. But anyway. Um, okay, let's finish up. I am I'm curious about there are so many teams that have – no, really, I thought Winnipeg, after the trade deadline, it looked like they might just sort of slide out of the picture. <laughs> Minnesota, completely don't get them. <laughs> How they've gone through, all they've gone through, they're on the edge of it too. Um, and, and the team I'm, you know, right now sitting, you know, they're tied with points with about 20 other teams, but right now own the first wild card spot, the Nashville Predators. What a mm. team. You know, Ryan Ellis comes back. And UC Saros is looks like he's putting his stamp on that goaltending, uh, and we've talked about this in the past. What, how do you do? You have a sense of how that wild card picture might turn out to, in the Western Conference. What do you like? What do you what, what do you what do you like of recent play to to give you an inkling of what might happen? Well, I'll tell you what. I was working the Predators Habs game on, on, on TSN last night and uh, in studio. They are like the wounded animal that if they can slide into the playoffs. This, this is why the parity in this league is, is some team, whether it's Vegas or St. Louis or Colorado, will have hummed along all year. Well, I guess Vegas had their troubles, but they fired a coach. But, I mean, you know, one of these top seeds who we're going to look at as a veritable Stanley Cup contender, because they are, they're going to get a wounded Nashville team, and it's going to be hard. I mean, I, I would not want to play this Predators team if they just get in with a core that had cup aspirations before the year, and now they get a second lease on life. Oh my goodness! Uh, I mean, I I think Nashville could be a, a real dangerous um, 
you know, upset potential team for sure. And, you know, it, it, it still boggles the mind at times how little offense guys like Ryan Johansson and Philip Forsberg and, 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 and Matt Duchesne, all these guys have provided at times this year. I mean, in fact, Forsberg had a terrific game last night. He became the first 20-goal scorer on the team, if you can believe that. Um, but who cares? If you get in, none of those numbers matter, do they? And and I, I, I just think watch out for Nashville. I, I, I think I think that's a dangerous first-round foal. All right. So and not to enrage Vancouver fans, and who knows, they could uh, climb up and catch Calgary or whatever. But I think the same thing. So what if this happens? What if Nashville and Winnipeg slide into the one and two wildcard spot in the Western Conference? And I think I think the exact same. I believe I, I agree entirely with Nashville. Uh, but I also think, you know, the same kind of thing about Winnipeg. You know, Hellebuck is really playing lights out now, really helped to right the ship there. What if Nashville and Winnipeg uh, could be shades of 2010 uh, all over mm. again, where it's just, oh, you know, we're going to have, uh, or even last year where there were so many upsets. Those two teams, it wouldn't boggle the mind at all to see them get into the playoffs and and wreck havoc right they're just they're built that way i think well and don't forget if, if the jets and predators get in as a two wild cards these aren't young teams who are suddenly are experiencing the playoffs for the first time they, these are two grizzled cores who of course two years ago were had stanley cup on their mind and the predators went to the cup final in 17 and the jets have been knocking like the, these i mean this is the thing with this league now right 16 to 31 there it's it's it, it, Man, he gets some of these teams as wall cards, and you're like, okay, is that you know, who would you rather face? Who, Lee? I, I, you know, Connor Hellebuck might win the Vesna. Yeah. So if it is uh, Nashville, Winnipeg, you and I have to reprise our uh, our uh, road trip from the uh, second round two years ago. We traveled, we made that trip from Nashville mm-hmm. to Winnipeg a bunch of times in that seven game series. I quite enjoyed that. That was yeah, fun. Me too. All right, brother. Well, uh, now just before we go, take care of some business here. Um, this week, you should. We didn't even talk about the Edmonton Oilers, um, who look like they're headed to the playoffs. I was talking to somebody the other day. Let's just make sure that it's Calgary Edmonton. Oh, right? I mean, we, that's how, how good would that be right now? Oh my goodness. Oh, uh, but you should get uh, Ken Holland, the GM of the Edmonton Oilers, joins Alan Mitchell, Jonathan Willis, and Daniel Nugent Bowman on the oil can this week on The Athletic. Wow. Uh, and you should, as we always ask you to at this time of the podcast, please rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage, you'll get 40% off the subscription. And you should subscribe anyway. Oh, my goodness. There's so much amazing. I can't wait every morning to see what's in The Athletic. I, well, I'm paid to, but I would do it anyway just to see. Yeah. So you should do that. Yeah. And next week, we will be that much closer to the playoffs, my friend. And hopefully, we'll be that much closer to some clarity on coronavirus. Mm. And hopefully, fans will still be able to. Don't know that we will be, sadly, but who knows? Yeah, true not. But we will have more news. But uh, anyway, it's been great. Uh, As always, fine work by you. And we'll do it again next week. Right on, right on.